0: I speak to you as spiritual and carnal, as to, as to base in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. From till now, you were not able to receive it, and even now, you are still not able. For, for you are still carnal. From where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. For when one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am a Paulist, are you not carnal? So his point is, they were still babies. It's great to have a little baby, you know, don't you like infants? But but only in their proper time. Eventually, you're supposed to grow up. They hadn't. They were still babies. And uh, a wise teacher will adapt his teaching to the level of his students. But they're so dull and they're so stunted in their growth that Paul can only feed them the bottle, just some milk. If he'd have tried to bring solid food, they'd have choked to death. You know, they can't tolerate that. And and that's because they're still babies. They haven't grown up. They're still fleshly. Isn't that ironic? That a church that prized itself, itself so much for its spiritual giftedness was really so fleshly and so carnal in truth Sometimes we may judge our connection with the Spirit in one way, and God looks at it in a very different way. So he says, you can tell you're still babies and still carnal, because you've got this jealousy and strife. You know, those are clear hallmarks of worldly deep thinking. Jealousy and, and conflict and quarreling. That's what little kids do. They fight and bicker among themselves. And these rivalries, these these parties, well, i have a i You know, that's a proof of their carnality. It says you're just acting like them, man, like somebody who's governed by their own thinking and desires and is not listening to the revelation of the Spirit of God. They're thinking about status and power and competition. And so, you know, there are just a lot of related problems in the division a lot of it is an emphasis on worldly wisdom and not God's wisdom. But a lot of it is just because they're babies, and they're fleshly, and they're, they're competitive, and they're jealous and fighting and quarreling, and they like to divide up and try to, to, to think about their group and, and who they're loyal to. All of that Paul did not respect because it was an indication that they had not matured properly in Christ. Lots of confidence. Yes, Joe. Question. Uh, In in light of how chapter 3 begins, who's the we at the end of chapter 2? Well, I think it is those who listen to God's Spirit-revealed Word. But they don't act like that. They aren't paying attention to it. They not really let that govern them. So in contrast with the spiritual people who are really listening to God,
1: They're still operating on a
0: fleshly level. They have access to the Spirit, but they're not accepting, they're not following. That's what I would say. Other thoughts? Five to nine. Who did this fall and who is a follower? The ministers through whom you believe as the Lord gave each one. I planted the polished waters, but God gave the increase. So that neither he who plants them, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's field. Are God's field. Okay. So he stresses the role of Thomas and Paul have. They're dividing up and, and using them as kind of like the title for their parties. I mean, like, you know, group sets. But he says, we're just servants. Uh, God assigned the task. God supervised. They just perform the roles God gave them. But more or less instruments that God uses to do his work through. And, and they're kind of working together. They're interdependent. Paul planted, Apollos came along and watered, but through it all, God was giving the growth. There's a change in tense there. Planted, watered, but God was giving. God continued doing his work as their roles came and went. God supplied the seed, God created the soil, God gave the water, God was giving the growth. The planter and the waterer really aren't the main thing. It's God that's giving the growth that our attention ought to be focused on. The planter and the irrigator, they're all deviled equal, and God will reward them according to the work that they do. So he's saying we're not rivals. Don't you try to decide whether we like Paul or we like Apollos? No, they've got just different roles in the same field. They're not competitive. And God will award them, not because of their talents or their success, but just because of their work. But the point is, don't focus on men, focus on God. We like to exalt men. We often like to think of ourselves as kind of identifying ourselves with certain men. But we're cheating ourselves out out of the Lord. Verse 9 in the literal terms, he says, God's we are, fellow workers. God's field, God's building, you are. You know, we are God's, you're God's. We're fellow workers, and we belong to God. And you are a field or a building that belongs to God. And the point is, it's God's initiative, it's God's glory, it's not ours. Now, it's a serious matter to cultivate the field that belongs to God or to build a house that God's going to inhabit, but God's the one who's, who's really uh, engineering and overseeing. Now, verse 9 is a transition verse. He's going from agricultural metaphors to architectural metaphors. You know, he's going from the field to the construction site. Because he can make some other related points by going to a building concept instead of a field concept, but it will certainly help us in understanding if we kind of keep these two things in parallel. Thoughts and comments through three nine. Yes, David. The most common about him uh, planning on slaughtering people. The most encouraging things that comes Daniel uh, that the point is that it's not my power, my will, and my intent going to win a soul. God is one working through me. And I am just a piece of that puzzle. So that if i on my shoulders to can someone, which is on my shoulders to be God instrument in that situation. Excellent point. Yes, amen. Other thoughts? Um so uh 10 to 15. According to the grace of God it's given to me, like a wise master building. I laid a foundation and another building. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation on than the one which is laid, which is Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because there is to be revealed to fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on in their name, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Another controversial passage that is so much easier when we keep it in context. Now Paul says, God's grace has given me the role of laying the foundation. Paul does not see this as his own achievement. This is by God's grace. He also doesn't see this as a burden. He sees this as a gift God gives him to be able to lay the foundation. Sometimes we view our work in the Lord as, oh, he expects me to do this. Paul didn't look at it that way. He viewed it as God's grace that was given to him. It was a blessing that he received. And he was thankful for the blessing. And, uh, So the grace was given to him to do this this work and especially his foundation. Paul was kind of a pioneer with the gospel. He liked to go to a a place where the gospel hadn't been preached and and, and pioneer the work. You know, he started the gospel in Corinth from everything we could see in Acts 18. Then somebody else came along and built on that foundation. Now, the foundation is Jesus. There's no other foundation Paul could lay than that. It wasn't up to him to decide what foundation it would be. That was already settled by the Lord. Paul just laid that. And and those who built on it had to build on the foundation of Jesus. Now, you build somewhere else, it's not God's building anymore. It's got to be built on the foundation of Jesus. Uh, You might think about that, too. When you try to evangelize, When you're you're teaching the gospel to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, where should you begin? Or where should your focus be? Maybe I should say that more than where should you begin. Your focus needs to be on Jesus. You're planting him. Now, there's a lot of ways to do that. But but probably sooner or later, you're going to have to land a good bit of time in one of the gospels. Try to help people really understand Jesus. That's kind of the center of this. Sometimes I think we can lose our focus. But, but ultimately, the foundation is going to have to be the Lord. Maybe you'll start somewhere else to build their thirst for that. Or maybe you'll incorporate various things that lead to Jesus and bring forth from Jesus. But ultimately, the foundation is still Jesus. So that, that needs to be kind of the center of our evangelism. Now... When you're thinking about that, somebody building onto this building, Paul's laid the foundation, somebody's building, it's kind of like Paul saying, I planted an Apollos water. So, if somebody comes along and he's got your foundation, he's starting to add to the building, he may add different building materials, right? And Paul mentions some of them. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. I think we can all see those uh, building materials are not all of equal quality, right? And particularly when you find out this building is going to pass the fire. Some of those materials will fare a whole lot better in the fire than what others will, right? And uh, so you think, okay, what does that mean? Well, if you're building these materials on the building, in fact, while you're at it, just keep your finger there. First Peter 2. First Peter two four and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ now that's the idea of Jesus the foundation and we are built on Jesus as living stones you know kind of weird to call us a stone you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're living stones, but we're built on that foundation as the, the building. When Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church." I think the rock is what Peter confessed, "You're the Christ." But building his church means bringing people to Christ, and we're, you know, if you ask the question, "When was it that Jesus built his church?" The right answer is, well, if there's not a day he's still doing it. As people keep coming to him, he's still building his church. So we got this idea of building, and the people who come to Christ are built onto the foundation. As as you add more people to Christ, you're just building up the building. But when you add people to Christ, when you teach the gospel to somebody and they're converted, do they all have the same quality? And one of those people you've taught has been converted goes to the five, maybe... Persecution, adversity, discouragement, temptation goes through the fire. You ever led somebody to Christ and when they went through the fire, they just got burned up? And they were just that was just they're gone. You ever taught anybody else and, and they go through the fire and man it purifies them? And it strengthens them and it matures them, and they just get stronger and better? So that's what he's saying. If any man, man's word, which is built on it remains. That is, you taught someone the gospel, they're converted, they go through the fire, and they're still there. You'll receive a reward. It'll be a great blessing to you, you know, to think about this one that I taught has gone through fire, and he's still strong. If any man's work is burned up, you know, you bring him to Christ, and then when he goes through the fire, he's just burned up. You'll suffer loss. You know, your word didn't make any impact ultimately on the hearer. You know, no souls in heaven as a result of your effort. But, he himself will be saved, ask through fire. That is, you know, if you bring somebody to the Lord, and the fire burns them up, that will not keep you from being saved, as long as you pass the fire intact. I mean, obviously, the fire is going to test you too, and if you're burned up, then no. But as long as you yourself pass through the fire, God is not going to condemn you for the people you brought to the Lord falling away. You'll still be saved if you pass through the fire safely. So that's the. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's the idea of this. Uh, I think that's probably the the best way to look at it. You know. Paul planted that as he laid the foundation. Apollos water, that as others built upon it. God gives the increase. God by the fire. And uh, so the thing people miss in this passage is that the one building on it is bringing people to the Lord. That's that's what's going on here. We're not talking about some kind of personal works. That are being tested, but we're talking about those that are brought to the Lord. They are the living stones being built on that building. Thoughts and comments? Questions? Yes, Andrew. I think verse 10 really helps solidify the idea that Paul is a fellow worker because he says that. He been the recipient of the grace of God, which back in chapter 1, verse 4, he thanks God for giving them grace by which they've been able to come to knowledge and that. spiritual Okay, good point. Amen. Other thoughts? Yes? I heard uh,
1: a teacher make like the point uh, that
0: the head and the strong head versus precious stone and a gold is uh, an indication of how. but it's okay because they're seeking more milk and maybe they can have those but I don't know is there anything I okay that's a good question you might look at verse uh, 10 when he says but each man must be careful how he builds on it maybe you could say this when you are bringing people to Christ. You need to help them to count the cost before they start and appeal for them to build deeply and to prepare for the fire. Sometimes we may be too quick just to try to, you know, get them in the door and get them ducked. Um, Whereas Jesus would have said, are you sure? Do you really want to be my disciple? Have you thought about what it would take? And he would say, there'll be a lot of adversity, there'll be a lot of challenges, and encouraging them to realize the seriousness. Maybe in that sense, some quality control in the building process is appropriate. But I am not so sure that the different types of material are so much reflection of the teacher here, still at all. I I don't know. I Certainly, I think in practice, there have been many people brought to the Lord that have fallen away. Think about the people Jesus attracted and then fell away. Think about people that God has saved and then fallen away. So I'm really still not sure the point of this is the teacher did a good or bad job. It may be just that inherently some people have the character to resist the fire and some don't. That'd be more my inclination, but I give—I I would suggest that into verse ten as at least one indication that we might ought to think about how we're built. It's a good question. Some of these things there's a—you know—a lot of ways to look at. It. No. So, I mean the context, we get the fire of persecution, and the fire in the context. Persecution or the Day of Judgment? I don't think either one necessarily. I think the fire represents all the things that test us. Persecution, adversity, tribulation, temptation. And I think it's what happens in this life. I think, you know, we're talking about people falling away because they go through fiery things and they don't resist. That's what I think. Caitlin? And it comes back to every person themselves. Uh, Uh, Verse 11 no man can lay a foundation other than the one who is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stone, water, each man's work will become evident. It comes back to you in the end. You may have a teacher, good or bad, but you can learn yourself once you have that foundation of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. But still, each man's work, I think, is there bringing people to Christ each man's work which he has built on it, remains. That is, you brought somebody to Christ and they remain. But yes, I do think ultimately the test and the passage of the fire is for the material being built and not for the building. Yeah. Other thoughts? i got a question for you. So how much of this is going back to the admonition about being based on Christ? In other words, if you see yourself as a baby in Christ, you, you would be at this point, that the building of your life is not one you have to assure certainly I mean the fact that we've got to pass through the fire means we better prepare for that and mature also I think he's teaching them that the focus is not so much on the planter the waterer the foundation layer and the builder The focus is still on the Lord primarily. We have a role, but it's a subordinate role, and God is the one who's giving the increase. I do think that's the overriding point in all of this. Anything else? Stacy? Could you say that if people are seeing these materials as people, then people can change materials? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think that it's like having a parable. You know, this is pointing out one thing. We're not trying to say that somebody's character is absolutely fixed and there's no way to come back to the Lord after you've been burned or whatever. That's just not the point he's making here. He's just illustrating here the idea of, you know, those you teach may do well or not, but that's really not ultimately what's going to change your salvation. So, yeah, I I think, you know... To try to force this into saying you're just inherently something and you can never change. That's not a screen. Other thoughts? Yes, Kevin. I think it's how uh, whatever he was shopping Jesus, and he turned back and the focus wasn't on being single. He turned away from what he should have. And instead of being what he could have been, he went back to what he wasn't Yes. Good point. Other thoughts? Yes. Hi. Just for clarification's sake, because I'm still not sure I'm entirely understanding verses fourteen and fifteen. Are, are we saying that that scenario is illustrating a spiritual kind of legacy, like the remaining evidence behind of what we have done with the foundation Is that what's happening here? You know, I think, think of this in a more global sense. Paul laid the foundation, and other people come along, and they add people to Christ. And as they do that, some of them stick it out through difficult times, some of them don't. So if the people I bring to Christ don't stick it out, that'll be discouraging, but I can still be saved as long as I am faithful. If the people I bring to Christ do persevere, that'll really be encouraging and a blessing to me but ultimately I'm not judged on the basis of what happened to those I bring to the Lord. Other <coughs> Well, besides good and bad build- builders, there are destroyers. 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what we are. Okay. So this is the first, I think, ten times that Paul says, "Do you not know?" Which is, I believe, um, intended to be a uh, sort of veiled rebuke. What was it that they prided themselves so much on? Their knowledge. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? I mean, after a while, it's like, wow, it's amazing how many things you don't know. You know? Don't you know that, that you're a temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You know, God dwells in His people. And you must never destroy God's temple. God will destroy you if you do that. God dwells in a holy temple. Think about the physical temple. If you had desecrated in some way the physical temple... Whoa! I mean, that was death penalty material. You know, it's God's house, so handle it lightly. So, God dwells in his people. In what way would somebody destroy that building, that temple? Well, you know how it's being destroyed in these chapters of 1 Corinthians, right? Division, worldly wisdom, party spirit, jealousy, strife. Those are the things that destroy the temple. He's saying this. You don't realize how serious this is. You start fighting and quarreling and and, and having these rivalries and, and, uh, you know, divide up and following after man and all that. Do you realize this is destroying the place where God lives? You You don't get by with that. Thoughts and comments? Yes? It's interesting that that passage is oftentimes used to encourage people to work out and be healthy. And if that's what it meant, then it would be a lot easier to obey. But this is something like deeper. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, the passage that would be more properly used, and still improperly, would be chapter 6, that calls our body the temple. We'll talk about that when we get there. This clearly doesn't have anything to do with anything about us, like as an individual or physical body, being a temple. Uh, this is talking about the church, the, the congregation being a temple, and so the things that destroy here are these things that threaten the unity and the spiritual focus and the maturity of the body. So, if somebody tries to apply this, there are a couple of steps wrong. Okay, apply this to something. All right, uh, eighteen to twenty-three. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in, his age, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are few. Therefore let no one boast in them, for all things are yours. For the or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. Fine, interesting passage. If you think you're wise in this age, you must become foolish to become wise. I mean, Paul continues really hammering on their reliance on worldly wisdom. I mean, that may be offensive to some of us, but Paul doesn't let go very quickly here. I mean, we're just trying to go through the text, And he continues to say, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. That means something. You know, we've got to give up our um, exaggerated respect for this world's wisdom. It's not worth much. He might say it's stronger than that. Um, You know, it's hard to give that up. It impresses us. And if we accept worldly wisdom, it stands us in good with the world. Or better, at least. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, this This is way too narrow. I'm just throwing out a couple of ideas. But think about how important it is from a worldly wisdom standpoint that we believe in the theory of evolution. Now, I understand that's not everybody in the worldly wisdom community that thinks that, but most do. And many would really belittle you if you would say, no, I don't believe God created by using evolutionary means, or I don't believe that everything evolved from a one cell organism, whatever. And, and we're supposed to believe that... You know, these things that we observe in the world were developed over a very long period of time using natural selection of things and like that. And um, that, that is really random chance, not intelligence, behind this. You go out in the field, you plow it up, and you observe this object in the field. And you look at it carefully, and you dust it off, Do you believe you can tell the difference between an old arrowhead and a rock? We all believe we can tell that difference. And certainly, the intellectuals believe they can tell that difference. How can they tell? Well, the arrowhead shows evidence of design. shows evidence that it's been shaped and maybe there's a design on it. And we can tell this has been impacted by intelligent beings. We know enough to figure that one out. And if you took something that was clearly an arrowhead, and you tried to deny that and say, no, no, that's just a rock, all that just stuff just got on there by natural processes, they'd laugh at you. No way, that's ridiculous. You can look at that thing and you can tell it's an arrowhead. And we can't look at human beings and tell that they've been designed by intelligence and not by random chance and, and natural selection and all that sort of thing. You know, there's one illustration of where human wisdom is foolishness. There's plenty of others, but he uses quotations in the Old Testament. For example, look at verse 19. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. That is so ironic. You know who said that? Anybody know? Who said that? No? Close Eliphaz, get Joe. it was Eliphaz that said that. He's a perfect example. He said it, he was right about it, but he didn't realize he was condemning himself. He was one who was caught in his own craftiness in the course of the book of Job, right? Isn't that ironic? That that Eliphaz said that, and uh, humans, humans who try to be wise in themselves are always caught in their own craftiness. So he says in verse 21, let no one boast in men. Now here's why when you say I'm a Paul I'm a Paul Christian a Paul like Pauline whatever I'm a Paul people well you're just cheating yourself out of a whole lot of your inventory because he says actually all things belong to you Paul Apollos, the Cephas, the world life death things present things come all things belong to you so when you start bragging about oh, Paul is mine. I'm, I'm a Paul guy. What just shows your insecurity. And you short yourself by your bragging. Actually, they're all are yours. Of course, you're Christ's. And Christ is God's. We have everything, but none of it's really ours. It all belongs to the Lord. But in the Lord, we don't need to have Paul. We have all. We have every one of them. That's what he's saying. You guys... Are shorting yourselves. You're, you're you're depriving yourselves of what you have in Christ by claiming some kind of special allegiance to just one or another. False and common. Yes, I. I think it's interesting how um, verse 18 says, "Let no one deceive himself," and yet in other places he talks about, "Do not be deceived," whereas those deceptions appear to be coming from outside, but in this discussion between wisdom and foolishness and all this contrasting, I think it's important for us to recognize that as we as in our foolishness, we are deceiving ourselves into believing what is untrue about God and about our salvation and all that. Good point. Yes. Amen. Other thoughts? Okay. Chapter 4, verses 1-5. to Oh.